0: a podcast from premiere unbelievable.
1: Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of matters of life and death. Um, as always, I'm Tim Wyatt, and I'm joined by my dad, john Wyatt. Hi, dad. Hi. And we're really pleased to be once again, joined by Daniel Morn. Hi, Daniel. Hi there uh we're picking up really our conversation from last week where we started off talking to daniel about his work as a psychiatrist uh what what kind of patients he's seeing the the rise in mental health conditions and we kind of finished by on a bit of a cliffhanger really talking about daniel's thoughts on uh kind of over pathologizing of of everyday kind of mental health uh how we approach distress and kind of emotional problems um, and and I was really keen to, to tell to see whether that you thought there was a place for the church perhaps to to be part of the answer to this you, you were talking about how we've kind of overcorrected in our effort to destigmatize mental health conditions and we've now kind of pushed maybe too far the other way and they, no one is sad anymore they're always depressed no one is anxious they always have anxiety. Do you think there's anything in the kind of Christian tradition in the Christian story which could help kind of model a more emotionally resilient, kind of approach to life that doesn't uh kind of pathologize um the ordinary ups and downs.
0: Yeah. Interesting because that I think the main thing we need to do in churches is destigmatize people with having mental health problems. I think that's really important that we accept that having mental health problems doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean you don't have a great faith. It just means that you you have a mental health problem like you might have a physical problem. And that's the most important narrative we need to have in churches. And that is the main problem that churches have around mental health. Now, there is, as you say, you know, um, perhaps a place for the church to support people in their emotional resilience. Um, And and really, the church has a lot to offer here um, in in many different ways. And there's a framework, actually, that I have for thinking about this. Have you guys come across the term biopsychosocial?
2: Do you want to explain it? Yep. (laughs)
0: So uh, as humans, we are biological, psychological, and social. God created us, created us biologically. He also gave us an interiority, the ability to communicate, to think, to feel. He also made us social creatures. He made Eve for Adam. He created family structures because he wants us to live in community. Now, uh, the biopsychosocial, interestingly, so I've said it's biblical, it's also the frame we use for understanding mental health problems, how they present, You know, what's the reason they present from biological, psychological and social reasons, but also how to manage them biologically, psychologically and socially. And my view is the church has a lot to say for the psychological and social elements of this support that mental health problems have. Do you want to
1: talk a little bit more about what that might look like? I can obviously the church is not going to be doling out people, antidepressants. How could they offer support, treatment, resilience in the kind of psychosocial element of it?
0: Yeah. So when I'm a psychiatrist, I'm thinking about biopsychosocial treatments. Biological might be antidepressant. Psychological might be a talking therapy and social might be sorting out their housing. But look, psychological um, support in a church could look like a home group. It could look like a, a, a chat with uh, a wise, um, mature Christian. It could look like um, reading the Psalms and actually really getting into uh, and, and uh, sort of in tune with some of the Psalmist's despair. Maybe it can be looking at Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about managing anxiety and saying, you know, be careful what you think. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. You know, think about today. Seek first the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying there is, don't just accept your thoughts as your as 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 what you are. Think critically about your thoughts. Have a critical distance between you and your thoughts, and actually think other things than perhaps what is coming into your mind. Because otherwise, you'll get anxious. So there's a lot to be said psychologically, socially. Of course, I mean that's more obvious, isn't it? You know, there's coffee mornings. There's church on a Sunday morning. There's lots of different opportunities to get involved socially, but not only to receive, but to give, which is so important in mental health recovery.
2: So I really like this model, but I want to push back a bit and say, isn't it a fourfold model from a Christian point of view? There's biological, there's psychological, there's social and relational, but there's also spiritual. And isn't spiritual a dimension in our in the way we are created we're all created as spiritual beings whether we like it or not we're all have the capacity for relationship with god we all understand the nature of right and wrong and isn't that a factor in our illness is not isn't couldn't spiritual factors a uh, sense of guilt or uh, maybe very bad theology can actually be a, a a pathogenic you know something a disease creating uh, force as well as potentially a force for good for for healing and therapy
0: there is there is that sort of way of looking at things um i perhaps rather controversially disagree with that if you, you know there's that old question of you know if you look at a pie being your bit of the week and you know you've got a slice for work and a slice for your family and these are different amounts of time you're giving them and then you have a slice for god they say don't give a slice to god because god should have the central bit of every slice and i think that's the same with biopsychosocial if you look at that like a pie you know treating our body uh, as a temple that's spiritual Uh, engaging in relationships and loving caring relationships that's spiritual looking after your mind and managing your thoughts and understanding guilt that's spiritual too I wouldn't look at these as a separate piece of pie. I know there are people that disagree with me, but I think the problem is of carving spiritual out as another sort of segment in this pie is we forget how much we, God sees us as spiritual beings. There's not a, a disembodied entity of, of spiritualness that we have, which is separate to our biology or our relationships. I mean, goodness me, the way I understand and express my faith is hugely socially. So if I was to, to, to divorce my spiritual um, nature from how I uh, relate to people, I you know I'd be really interesting. How would I how would think that? So that that would I, I like the fact that you brought that in because it's a debate that's often thought about when you know is is it biopsychosocial spiritual? I would say, you know, that all of us should be considered spiritual and looking after your body. You know, what a spiritual thing to do to look after that well.
2: Yeah, I can I can see that. I suppose my concern is that for most people in the psychiatric world, in, in the world of health, they can adopt this biopsychosocial model and effectively ignore uh, the spiritual as being either illusory uh, or else, you know, irrelevant. Um, and I suppose I'm I mean, I, I I get what you're saying that everything is spiritual. We can't compartmentalize it. All. I I just don't want to forget it as a as as a potent force of uh, for both good and evil. I mean, one of the things I've seen as a doctor uh, trying to help often parents struggling with the reality of um, of having a, a child with special problems, brain damage, disability, is how often bad theology is a factor. You know, that I, I know why this has happened, God is punishing me. I, I know that, you know, it's all because of what happened or what I didn't do or didn't do. And, and, and that, you know, the potent force that, that spiritual factors can be in, in people's uh, mental life
0: i I think you're right. I mean that would be if you're going to use a framework in the secular world the that reason for having spirituality would be would be to remind people and indeed, it is often forgotten about um i you know it's what can you do in a in a secular um professional setting in mental health when somebody brings up spirituality, you can point them towards the pastoral care team. you can ask about it, you can ensure that they're managing it um rather you know it's more about signposting um and understanding it as part of the problem but i think as churches uh you know what 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 we need to do is is really realize that people with mental health problems particularly depression really do have crises of faith and really do begin to doubt like they begin to doubt about everything whether their wife or husband might love them whether anyone likes them you know, whether there's any reason in the universe and God God has lumped in with that and they can really struggle with hope. And we know hope is so central to faith. So I think we need to be really aware of these spiritual dimensions. And I certainly don't think it should be forgotten.
2: One of the things I'm quite interested in is that um, a lot of Christian worship these days, particularly sort of Protestant evangelical worship, often seems amazingly happy, clappy, sort of upbeat. Everybody's worshiping God and isn't it amazing and wonderful. And yet there are so many people who struggle and who, uh, you know, wrestle with their inner, their inner problems. And there's this kind of mismatch. I've heard people say, I just can't go to church because it's too, it's too positive and upbeat. And, um, I know that you uh, that you give uh, lectures from time to time to people who are training uh, to become vicars and pastors. You know, what do you say to them along these kinds of lines?
0: Well, as you're asking that question, I'm I'm thinking perhaps I should say more. Um, (laughs) uh, No, uh, absolutely. There's there's not enough space for lament. Uh, There's certainly enough lament in the Bible. But we don't often represent that in our worship, do we? And I, I do have concerns when there is sort of almost an emotional contract um in, in in worship sessions that, you know, it is these are the this is where we're going emotionally, everyone. Please jump on the train. I I have a problem <laughs> with that, you know, and I think that that, that does often exclude people, not only the perhaps cynical ones, but also perhaps the suffering ones too. And and I think that um what we need to do to be inclusive in, in we, we we do need to embrace you know have options for people who are struggling and to be aware that 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 some forms of worship and some forms of uh, communally meeting with God are di- more difficult and and that's about having a breadth and a range of um, services, service structure, uh, having a range of uh, formality, informality. I do know, I've, I've met a lot of Christians who actually revert to the more formal um, uh, structure of services actually. Um, perhaps less is required, less is demanded. They know, you know they're in a bit more safe space, re- relying on liturgy. So I think there, there's something in that that's interesting for me. Uh, but of course, everyone's different and might have their own leanings.
2: Yeah, that resonates with me, because certainly I can think of times in my past when I was struggling with my own uh, psychiatric symptoms, including depression. And and I just couldn't um, cope with this very positive, upbeat uh, kind of worship. And, and I did find that that more formal, liturgical. There's something about it's external, isn't it? I mean, part of the problem is with this kind of, um, style of worship, which is, it's all in my head. I've got to, or in my emotions, I've got to try and as you put it, you know, get on the train (laughs) and, and it's all about, you know, what am I, how am I engaging with the, with what's going on here? Whereas when, when you're following a more set structure, it's, it's much, it's out there, you know, I'm, I'm reading these words, I'm, I'm praying Mm. these prayers. And yeah, I, I'm feeling dead inside, but I can still, I can still read the words. I can still be involved. And, and, that, and I think,
0: yeah, I think that's right. And there's there's, there's this real sense of, uh, uh, what's the word, detachment, that people have, but they can still experience things vicariously. And there's something beautiful and healing in churches where you, because you do things communally, corporately, you can experience love, hope fellowship with God vicariously, so through others in the church body, other people can hold hope, other people can praise God, other people can pray for you, which is absolutely absolutely critical bit of, of, of living in church. Now, which makes me think of your first question, uh, you know, Tim, which, which um, I didn't think I answered very well about how can we make the church more resilient, uh, People, you know, how can we improve emotional resilience? And I'd like to answer that because I think that one of the critical bits is story and how we understand our story. Do you mind oh, if no, I say No,
1: please do. Yeah, I'm fascinated. I don't know what's coming next.
0: So we all, I think the thing about human beings is we live, whether we know it, we realise it or not, we exist within storylines, okay? So we, we can have multiple stories going on, which it might be, well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a psychiatrist, I'm a dad, I'm a member of a church, you know, I like music, you know, there's, there's lots of different plot lines that you can have and storylines. Maybe I've got a success storyline. I've got to be really successful in my work. Maybe I've got a loneliness storyline. I, I always feel lonely. Nobody really likes me. You can have, I think, the, the, the senses is that you need, we can exist within these multiple stories. And But as Christians, we ha- are called into a redemption narrative that God gives us our ultimate story. And the the thing about our multiple plot lines that we we exist within, sometimes they get broke. Say success uh, becomes very important to me as a psychiatrist, and I can't get a job. Suddenly, I'm a failure. Suddenly, I can't feel happy. Suddenly, my story can't continue. What happens then? And the great thing is, as a Christian, I can cling on to the narrative of Jesus redeeming me as a created intended son of God that can see me through. And often as Christians, we we, we can spot where problems have occurred because one plot line becomes more important than our Christian story. And we need to put our stories back where they should be, which is underneath this wonderful, loving, accepted storyline. And that's where we can really improve emotional resilience
1: Can I ask a a kind of controversial follow-up to that? Because that sounds really true as far as I can tell and and really affirming. But are there also kind of stories, traditions, narratives within Christianity which can be harmful, which can be emotionally distressing or even kind of damaging to men, people's mental health or those who are vulnerable and their mental health? I'm thinking of, you know, the kinds of churchmanships which might always prefer to see demon possession rather than depression. You know, are are there, do you come across that actually churches need to learn how to reinterpret some of those Christian storylines in ways that cause less damage to people struggling with their mental health?
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely, absolutely right to point that out. And what I mean is the, the overarching story that we are created, we are, you know, chosen we are fallen, we are all fallen, we all make mistakes, but we are all redeemed despite of them and loved despite of them. That's the narrative that I mean. But but yes, you're right, churches and people trying to follow God have created all sorts of problematic plot lines for people. I mean, goodness me, the amount of spiritual trauma that we're aware of across the board now and people who have been affected by um, by, you know, uh being bruised by the christians is, is is very difficult so yes the churches and the whole demon narrative yeah that's a whole nother podcast guys <laughs>
1: <laughs> can you give us the top line your elevated pitch on, on how you talk about <laughs> demon possession and mental health in church
0: <laughs> have I, think, I chucked you I, in the deep end there I, I, daniel <laughs> I think that there are multiple perspectives and there are lots of different ways that you can use the word demon and it's used in lots of different ways. I think we're called as Christians to be children of truth. Uh, we're called into truth and light and that we need to use, therefore, the most, uh, the most truthful explanation and the most honest explanation for things. And sometimes when we're calling mental illness demons, and I know that there's actually some problem biologically with a brain that can be treated with when we've moved away from truth there and and that can get problematic in a clinical practice when people are engaged with perhaps uh, an explanation for something which isn't right and that can often we talk about stories if you've got a story that can't get better because i've got a demon i can't get rid of well that's not going to help you if you've got a story where i've actually got a biological brain problem and oh goodness i've got a medication here that can help you with that We've got a story, because it's closer to the truth, that can actually get you through. You're listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable.
2: A bit more uh, close to home, I think, for many of us is when Church seems to exacerbate guilt feelings. Yeah, I, I can think of one tragic case where a teenager who I think had really struggled with a sense with with her own issues um, was uh, very influenced by a church that put a, ne- a great deal of emphasis on on sin and the need for forgiveness and. Um, and she eventually took her own life and, and her father, you know, there was obviously many, many factors behind that. But I know that her father felt that this sort of negative stuff that was coming from the church actually contributed towards her own suicide.
0: And that, that's where, I mean, that's tragic, John, that's really tragic. And, and goodness me, if the church can't be a place where broken people are, are accepted and loved, you know, what are we? Hmm. But, but, I mean, it, it makes me think that, um, that actually there's a lot of ignorance out there. There's a lot of judgment. I mean, can't we take the log out of our own eye? What is it about mental health problems where everyone thinks they can give an opinion? I mean, if we meet some about, about why it was caused. So somebody's depressed and you go, well, well, you made a bad decision and that's why you're depressed. We don't do that if somebody, you know, um, broke their leg skiing. We go, well, you shouldn't have gone skiing, should you? Oh, that was the oddest. that was your mistake. When that's a much more clear cut causation <laughs> problem, you know, we're all very happy to jump in and go, well, you've sinned and you've done that. And then that judgmental attitude, there is no place for it. Absolutely no place for it. Keep your judgment to yourself. You're probably wrong anyway. And anyway, there's no point in laying blame at somebody who's already self-stigmatizing. We need to give these people hope. We need to give these people encouragement. And actually, we've got our narrative wrong um biblically and and uh, 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 there is there are huge amounts of um characters in the bible who struggle in a very real way with what uh, from my perspective as a psychiatrist is clearly deep depression or deep anxiety and we need to open our eyes to that and uh, yes there weren't antidepressants around at that time but i'd like to think that one of the psalmists or jeremiah might well have taken advantage of those medications i don't think god would have had a problem with that either <laughs>
2: that's really interesting because i've just remembered when I was a medical student and studying psychiatry I was reading the psalms at the time same time and saying good grief i couldn't recognize you know, ticking off all the all the symptoms that's
0: right. so i i
2: think you're right I, that um and and that's the wonderful thing about the scriptures isn't it it's so it's so honest about the struggles you know it, it there's there's so much about people struggling with their own feelings and emotions, and and saying to God, "Where are you? And and why don't you intervene? And and why am I feeling like this?" And and that's the wonderful things about the Psalms, isn't it they They give us they give us language to express these feelings back to God.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think that's God loving loving us by showing this the, the sense of brokenness. And Jesus showing his own brokenness too, you know, in, in different ways. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is broken, he weeps, he's in anguish, he gets angry. You know, he's, he really engages with his emotional world um, that really should uh, help us to see that, you know, w- struggling is not something which we should Im- automatically assume is sinful. Um, and we shouldn't automatically judge to j- jump, jump to judgment we should automatically lean on god more heavily and we should look to our you know our church to help us to do so and do it with us
1: do you think there are particular mental health kind of pathologies which come up more often among people of faith or in church communities no <laughs> that was an easy answer <laughs> i i heard some psychiatrists say that he
2: thought that that Christians' mental health problems self-selected towards different denominations, so that so that people who had a tendency to sort of obsessive compulsive disorder um, or, or depression were more likely to go for certain particular sort of conservative evangelical denominations. Excuse me.
0: <laughs> I'd I, like I, to rephrase yeah.
2: that
0: <laughs> no no I I I think that if you ask about the church in general I would definitely say no and it's important we say no I I would say that if you look at churches I from my perspective I don't talk about illnesses but there's definitely a sense of personality differences in different denominations um and and personalities different personalities are more prone perhaps to different problems and different you know different types of Um, uh, experiences if you know different ways of experiencing struggle so so yeah I mean I could I could run with that John
1: (laughs) I mean I've heard you talk before about personality disorders which is obviously kind of not the same as a mental health condition do you think there are certain personality disorders that we might need to kind of be aware of in 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 church congregations
0: the thing about personality disorder is that um, these are these are really broken And people who have often been broken by others, um, often you know, in their early formative years. So I wouldn't say that they're any particular type of personality disorders. And you know, often the most common one is borderline. You've also got antisocial or narcissistic or dependent. These are these are people who might have lovely personalities, but certain traits are dysfunctional and cause them distress or others around them, certainly in the relationships. So I I would say personality disorder is something that we should work really hard to uh, love them in a way that shows what Christian relationship truly looks like. Because often these people have a broken form of love and a broken understanding of relationship. And it can be hard to show people what love is without being judgmental. And boundaries are important here um But yeah, personality disorder is is, is rife in the church. It's, it's rife everywhere else as well, and 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 and. But really, it's a sign of the world's brokenness that we've we've stuck a label on in, in the mental health world.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. um Well, I think we're probably running out of time again. Unfortunately, we could have chatted all day. I'm sure because it's been really interesting picking your brains, Daniel, and, and hearing some of your perspectives on this. Is uh, there anything else you want to chip in, Daniel? Last last chance. Um, we uh, probably to to wrap wrap it up. Um, thanks so much for for kind of sharing some of your thoughts.
2: Um, I, I'd just be interested, Daniel, if if you if if people are interested in pursuing this further, you know, are there particular things you'd recommend? Uh, books, uh, websites, podcasts. You know, where where might people go who who'd like to explore some of these themes in greater depth?
0: Uh, the Mind and Soul Foundation is a really good website, and I can recommend them. Mind and Soul, I think it's dot org, uh, Mind and Soul Foundation. Uh, the, uh, there's a book by Alan Thomas, I think it's called Tackling Mental Illness Together. I'd really recommend that book. I'd recommend a book called uh, Christianity and Depression by Tasia Scruton. That's a good book. Um, most importantly, I'd recommend making sure you're talking openly to people and you are having time to understand and uh, communicate your distress. That's the most important thing that we keep channels open before reading a book. Have a conversation.
1: Brilliant. That's so that's really helpful. Thanks so much for. Um... For joining us on matters of life and death it's been great to have you on this uh Ask two episodes and thanks everyone for listening i hope you found it um thought-provoking and, and interesting and hopefully useful as well um as always you can find some more resources on um dad's website that's uh johnwyatt.com. um uh, you can get in touch with us by emailing molad m-o-l-a-d at premiere.org.uk uh, we'll be back next week uh, with another episode but until then goodbye
0: Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable.